Well, hello to you whenever you may be watching this. If I haven't met you before, uh, my name is Aiden, and I say this often, and I mean it. I would love to hear from you. You can get on our website, email us, call the office. My email is afin, Aiden Finn, afin at graceohio.org. afin at graceohio.org. I would love to hear from you. I'd love to know that you're watching and connecting in this way. I don't know if you've heard of, her name is Marie Kondo. The more I talk to people this week, the less people know about who she is. But Marie Kondo had a show, I think it was on Netflix, called Tidying Up with Marie Kondo. And it was this show where Marie was this little lady and she would go and she would help you kind of tidy up your house. She'd go to these people's houses that just had so much stuff in them, all this clutter, and she would she'd kind of get a sense of the building, which was very funny for them to sit there and watch her do. And then she would, you go, you go through a closet and she'd say, grab every pair of shoes and say, does this spark joy? And if it doesn't spark joy, you get rid of it. It's very, very, very funny. And kind of had, she had this moment where everybody's, I'm tidying, I'm tidying, I'm doing what Marie does. Well, there's this article that came out maybe a year or two ago where Marie Kondo, whose entire life was built around all the, and she's great, her whole life built around tidying up and being this tidier and teaching people how to tidy. And she's the tidy lady and she's the clean lady. She has her third kid and she's like, yeah, I gave that up. <laughs> and she doesn't do it anymore. She doesn't have a show anymore. She's like, I had three kids, I'm done, right? I love that, that there's this sense of we, we do something, we, we give our lives to something, we do something until we can't. And I don't know, I'm a, I'm a pastor, I've been in church for 32 years and I see this happen time and time again. And following Jesus. Sometimes it's a hands up, I'm done with this thing, and someone's gone. And sometimes it's kind of this slow fade. And we do our best to, to live like a Christian, to live the way that Jesus wants us to live, to believe the things that we're supposed to believe. And, and somewhere along the line, we either give up or we slowly burn out. Because if you think about it, the, the Christian life, all the stuff Jesus calls us to, it's hard. I think about this, that sometimes it's sold as this adventure and somewhere along the line we see ourselves believing in God, working nine to five and being bored. Somewhere along the line, there's a voice on the internet that told us that all this Jesus stuff is useless at best and it's harmful at worst. And for some of us, we, we thought this Jesus stuff would feel different. We thought it would take our pain away. We thought it would give us vision and passion and purpose for every area of our life. And it just, things still hurt, right? And the question is, we run into this summer is, what if we're mapping this whole idea of the Christian life? What if, what if we're mapping this wrong and, and no matter how much we speak about grace and the cross and the invitation of Jesus and the life that he offers and forgiveness, and no matter how much we try to give ourselves to this and put our hearts into this, there's this system that kind of runs in the background that keeps score see how we're doing as a Christian that wants us to strive for approval for all kinds of different people that's prone to kind of just spiritual exhaustion and eventual disengagement from this whole thing. Scripture has a name for this default system and it calls it the flesh and we're going to take a look at this today but there's there's a path there's a way of living this life to use clunky language that runs on a different system and as we go through the summer I just want to challenge you to maybe look at the way that we interact with Jesus, the way that we follow Jesus, the way that we live this Christian life with Jesus, that is maybe different than striving, different than trying to put all the pieces on a spreadsheet, different than trying to make sense of every last piece. And it comes from a different place and it shows up differently. Today, what I want to jump into uh, for the rest of the summer, the kind of summer series we're going through, is, is very simple 
Yet I believe it's so profound and so subversive. And it's simply this. It is the fruit of the Spirit. If you grew up in church, there might have been a song that went along with this that had to do with coconuts and dancing and all these different things. But the fruit of the Spirit is something that often can kind of just roll off the side of our brain. It feels cute, but I think there's so much in here that I want us today to kind of just set, set up for the summer. And we're going to kind of walk through these different, these different aspects of the fruit that the Spirit produces in us. Now, what Ethan said uh, here at the beginning is that this is not, please hear me, this is not a, here's how to do the fruit of the Spirit. Here's how to be more patient. Here's how to be more kind and joyful and self-controlled. We're going to give you a seminar on how to do that. It's not at all what this is, but it's, it's an opportunity. It's an invitation to, to examine ourselves. This is what Paul says, and ask, am I living and am I relying on Jesus? Or am I living and relying on something else that looks a lot like Christianity? It looks a lot like what we're supposed to do. But it's not producing the fruit that Jesus promises to produce in us. A pastor named John Tyson says, The fruit of the Spirit is manifesting publicly the character of Jesus that is being formed in us privately. The fruit of the Spirit is manifesting publicly the character of Jesus that's being formed in us privately. Fruit is bearing out what's happening inside of us. Christopher J.H. Wright, he wrote a book on the fruit of the Spirit. He says this, clicker, clicker time. He says, why does a tree bear fruit? Not because there's some law of nature that says it must, but simply because the life within it, rising up from the soil and water that feeds the root and flowing through the sap to every branch and twig. A tree does not bear fruit by keeping the laws of nature but simply because it is a living tree, being and doing what a tree is and does when it's alive. That is, as we live with Jesus, as we come to in prayer, as we study the scriptures, as we practice his presence, as we practice spiritual disciplines, as we live in community with other people, as, as, we, as we live with Jesus, not because we're supposed to be a good Christian, because we're living with Jesus, abiding with him. He produces fruit in us and he produces fruit through us. Wright goes on to say, what the Spirit of God does above all is he makes those who put their faith in Jesus, those who are in Christ, he makes them to become more and more like Jesus as they love, trust, and follow. He says, in fact, we could say that these ninefold fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control, that these these ninefold fruit of the Spirit is a beautiful picture of Jesus. That as we look, what is the fruit of the Spirit? I want to be more patient. I want to be more kind. It's not things that we try to do, but all these point to Jesus. And if we want this to show up in our life, what do we do? We don't want to look at this end of the branch. We want to abide in Christ. And notice this. It's it's fruit of the Spirit. All of this is one thing that he bears out in us. It's it's not fruits. It's not a scorecard, right? I'm not very self-controlled. I'm not very patient, but I'm pretty non-anxious. I'm pretty peaceful and pretty kind, right? It's not a, let's see how many out of nine we get. It's not a checklist, right? That's how we think. That's the system that runs in the background. But this is as I abide with and live with and have friendship with Jesus and give my life to him every moment of every day. How does he bear out himself in our life? As we are conformed to the image of Jesus internally, that is what is going to come out of us. And so today what I simply want to do is just look at a passage in Galatians 5 and kind of spring off of what we're going to look at all uh, summer. But I'd love to pray for us uh, before we jump in. Jesus, I pray as we, as we look at the, the fruit of your spirit in our lives, 
that you just keep our hearts from turning this into a checklist, turning this into a thing that we got to do. But if we look at ourselves, we don't see these things showing up that we might turn to you, run to you, lean into you, walk with you, abide with you, talk to you, know your word, know your heart, live with your people. Jesus, I pray that your spirit would work in our hearts today, no matter where we're at, no matter where we're watching this or coming from or listening to this. I pray you'd help us to walk with you in every season. It's because of Christ we pray. Amen. All right, if you guys are still with me, what we're going to do is jump into Galatians 5 is where we'll be. If you got your phones, anything like that, we'll throw it up here. But this is kind of the springboard for where, where we see the fruit of the Spirit show up um, here in Galatians. It says this, Paul is writing to the church in Galatia. Now, kind of framework, he's writing to the church in Galatia. And they are folks who, who would have followed Jesus, that he would have planted the church, they would have followed Jesus. And other people came that, were, that had a Jewish background, and they're like, Jesus is cool. We believe in Jesus, but you also have to do these things. You got to do these certain Jewish ceremonial things, circumcision. You got to abide by these food laws, these certain laws, right? And Paul's pretty ticked because he's reminded them of the depth of the gospel. And so he's, he's reminding them of some different things. We're going to see that show, show up. But he starts by saying, so I say, walk by the Spirit. I would underline that. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And look at how he contrasts these two. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with one another, right? It's important. So that you are not to do whatever you want. We've, said, we've read this several times over the last couple of years. So important for today. That the spirit and the flesh are in conflict with each other, so we are not to do whatever we want. He says, but if you are led by the spirit, if the Spirit is the one leading your life, walk by the Spirit, be led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. He's reminding them, right? You, we are not under these old Jewish codes. We are not under the just the concrete rules, but we're under the Spirit. We're under a new system, right? Look what he goes on to say. That's what we want to look at first. The acts of the flesh. The acts of our sinful nature. They're, they're obvious is what Paul says. Now, they're obvious from the outside, but sometimes in the day-to-day life, they might not be so obvious for us because they take on different shapes and forms. Some of them are. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, look out, PG-13, and the like. Look at how he says that. I mean, there's a whole list. And the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this, this who this is how they define their lives, this is what they give their lives to, this is their day-to-day rhythms, this is what defines and directs them, they'll not inherit the kingdom of God. The first, the first aspect I want to look here is the flesh, right? One pastor says, Our base primal animalistic drives for self-gratification, especially as it pertains to sensuality and survival, is when we see the flesh shows up. What do we want? What do we desire? What feels good? What satisfies our appetites? What is just natural to get me what I want, right? Another pastor, Tyson, says he calls the flesh coping mechanisms for life apart from God. That we were created to be in relationship with God, to find our fulfillment, to find what we need, to find our identity, our security, our purpose in life. Genesis 1, in the garden with God. That that is what, that is what John Tyson says, that's how we're supposed to live. But he says the, the flesh, our sinful nature, you see this in Genesis 3, is this way of figuring out life on our own, right? 
that I, I, I want to control things. I want to feel good. I want to put things in my life that I want to worship. I want to control things myself. I want to decide who I love and who I hate. I think I'm right. I want what that person has. I want to feel that all these things are ways to cope of life apart from living with God. I love that. And so you think about the flesh as this one path of life. We see this theme all through scripture, right? We see these different paths, right? So think of flesh as this this other path, right? And, And the first side I want to look at this is that Satan kind of normalizes the acts of the flesh, right? Think about how this plays out. He wants to normalize the acts of the flesh. Oh, that appetite you want, that desire you have, that I'm going to do what I'm going to do, nature, attitude, that's, that's totally normal. You should, you should follow your heart. You should follow your cravings. You should do what feels good. Like this is such normal language in our culture, right? Do what feels right. Normalizing the acts of the flesh. We see this so many different ways, but to pull from this list that Paul makes, we see this play out sexually in every single way, right? From definitions of sex, to definitions of gender, to what I think is okay for myself, to the lines I draw, all kinds of things when it comes to sex, the boundaries and morality, it's just do what you want spirit, right? And nowadays, if there's if you have any form of a traditional sex, sex ethic in any form, wait until marriage, man and woman, whatever it is, it just feels like it's saying something wild now, right? But not just that. You think about, Paul talks about hatred, right? We see this play out all through our culture that we're like, love wins, you gotta love everybody until that person's toxic, then you gotta hate them and get them out of your life forever, Right? Like, I'm not minimizing pain, but there's this kind of on-off switch that gets flipped, right? I see it on the news, on Facebook, that we demonize each other. Dissensions and factions is what Paul calls that, right? That there's this hatred of the other. We may not say it that way, but it's what happens in our hearts, and it gets normalized, right? Because we make enemies out of everybody, right? We make enemies out of everybody. You think about just the indulgent culture we find ourselves in, overbuying, overeating, overscrolling, overopinionating, right? That Satan wants to normalize the acts of the flesh so that we wouldn't even blink at these things that Paul says are acts of the flesh. We live in a time that normalizes the flesh, but listen to me, this is so important. I want to let you in on a secret. As human beings, we have always done this. We have always done this. It's taken a lot of different forms in our day and age, all kinds of different forms. But we have always done this. You think about all kinds of different cultures where spiritism and witchcraft and these types of things are very central to the culture. You think about the the church in the Middle Ages, like we're just going to kill all the people that don't agree with us. That's the flesh. We can just over-dominate people with our power in our country and we will win and they will bow to Jesus in the name of my sword. Like, that's the flesh. That's, that's controlling things by violence and power. In biblical times, these dudes would have tons of wives and concubines. That's the flesh, right? The flesh shows up and wants to normalize, normalize sin in every culture in all kinds of different ways, right? Paul, uh, Paul J, uh, Christopher J.H. Wright says this. Paul mentions that this, this whole list he gives, that there's things that are individual. There's things that are social and cultural. It ranges from our private lives to our public lives to our outward acts to our inward emotions that the flesh covers the whole gamut, the whole spectrum as it plays out. Now, some, some of these things, as you look at, at this list, some of these things are like real obvious, right? Sexual morality, orgies, drunkenness, debauchery. You're like, yeah, don't do that, right? Real, real obvious. It's easy to, to wag a finger at an orgy, right? That's a, kind of a big red flag there. 
but it, but some of these things are subtle the way that they show up in our hearts, right? It's easy to see those things. The orgy pops out, but it's different to see the discord that's caused by my own opinions and the tension that I cause by wanting to be right. He says, selfish ambition. American dream, anybody? Right? The selfish ambition that puts my goals and my dreams above my neighbors. The idolatry of more. He talks about idolatry. We make idols out of everything, out of our children, out of our news anchors, out of our social media, out of our accomplishments, out of our work. We make an idol out of everything, right? Out of how we find safety and identity and community in our factions, in our tribes. If I can just be with my people and forget them, then that's my safe place. Those are subtle, but my friends, they're acts of the flesh. Self-protective, self-gratifying, self-righteous, right? And I want you to look at this. If this side of the arrow is, is one aspect of the flesh, there are two sides. The flesh shows up as a license. We could do whatever we want. We want to normalize sin, normalize the flesh in our society. We see that. As if you grew up in church, that's easy to figure out. But what's hard for us to figure out is this side of the flesh that's played out by the law. That's a lot of what Paul is writing to. Because if we can develop our own morality that's based roughly off Christianity, if we can feel pretty good about it, if we can abide by our own rules, we feel pretty good. There's this willpower. There's this self-righteousness. Jesus tells the story of the prodigal son. The, the, the two brothers, right? The younger brother goes off, lives his life, does what he wants. But the older brother gets mad at the father for welcoming back the son because the older brother says, haven't I kept all your rules? Haven't I been here the whole time? Haven't I kept your law? That's the flesh. The flesh wants to point to itself, right? It's the same vein. Paul is writing uh, Galatians to these Judaizers, these people that were coming and saying, you have to do these things still. So Paul is very aware of both sides of how the flesh shows up. And for some of us, for some of us, we, we feel pretty high and tight with how we're living our lives, right? We feel pretty moral, pretty good at what we're doing. And we read a list like this that Paul says, and we're like, poof, I'm doing pretty good, right? Got a pretty good scorecard. But I want you to think about this. This was challenging to me this week in all of the cultural upheaval of the last three, five, 10, 50 years, whatever. Pick how old you are. If anxiety and fear are the driving factors or the undercurrent of my opinions in my actions, like if I'm, I'm nervous and I just don't like where everything's going and I'm a little anxious about it, I'm a little fearful for the, I'm gonna give you my opinion. That's, that's the flesh. Yeah, but it's righteous and it's from the Bible, but it's the flesh. Do, do you see? That in, in, in my failure, if I drop the ball, if I sin, if I let someone down, whatever it may be, if I don't run to Jesus in confession for grace and for forgiveness, but I say, I'm not going to do that again. I'm going to double down. I'm, I'm going to change. I'm going to be different this time. My friends, that's the, that's the flesh. I'm not saying that there's some motive in there that you want to do the right thing, but the power, the system that it's coming from is the flesh. I'm going to do it myself. I'm going to do it myself, right? If, if I can mentally just check some theological boxes, I agree, substitutionary atonement and the Bible's the inerrant word of God and Jesus died for my sin? Yes, I know. And it in no way, it in no way shapes my heart or my affections or my relationship with Jesus. I may be living from the flesh because I've acknowledged some things, but it has taken no root in my life, right? Keller says, if I'm trying to be good, 
I will do the acts of the flesh. If I'm trying, I will, I will, I will buckle down and I'll do it myself. I'll do the acts of the flesh, right? But he says, when I am aware that I am saved by grace, when it is an act of Jesus coming to me, that apart from Jesus' grace in my life, apart from the work that he did on the cross for me, apart from his invitation, apart from his kindness and forgiveness, apart from his love, his patience, his kindness, his gentleness, his, his forbearance to us, apart from that, I have nothing. But when I'm aware of that, it'll produce the fruit of the Spirit in my life. And what can happen, this is so important, is that in our own effort, we'll we'll produce something, but it'll be counterfeit fruit. If we can buckle down, if we can do it all right, we will produce something in our life, but it'll be counterfeit fruit, right? The fruit of the Spirit is joy. But if I can just get some good outcomes, if I can just get the right circumstance, the right circumstances, put the right people in order, we can kind of manufacture happiness, manufacture joy, and I can feel pretty good about it as long as everybody stays in order here and the situation doesn't change, right? That I can, the fruit of the Spirit that Jesus wants to produce in us as we walk with Him and abide with Him and trust Him is a deep founded peace. But we can manufacture peace, right? We can manufacture peace. Sometimes it's just by disconnecting and turning off from all the pain of the world. I, I'm peaceful. I just don't listen or don't pay attention, right? That we can just do, or we can just avoid certain people or certain situations, and that'll give me peace. It's manufactured peace, right? Sometimes we, we, Jesus wants to produce kindness in our life. The Spirit wants to produce a deep sea kindness that sees people, that serves people in our lives, and we can manufacture that by kind of manipulating people for good deeds. See that nice thing I did? I held the door for you. <laughs> in the office, there's an episode where Andy and Dwight keep going back and forth. You owe me one. No, you owe me one, right? There's this, this manipulative sense that's not actual kindness. The fruit, the, the fruit of Spirit, the Spirit wants to produce self-control in us. Whereas we walk with Jesus, as we abide in Jesus, that there's this self-control, there's this loosening of the grip on our appetites where we can take, thought cap- take thoughts captive and say, no, this isn't how I live. This is, I want to be drawn to these things. There's a self-control. The opposite of that is this willpower. I will change. I will do it. What will happen is you will buckle down and you will fail and fail and fail and eventually burn out and say, Jesus thing doesn't work because you were buckling down trying to be the right person. Or if you, out of your willpower, actually feel like you've been doing the right thing, you did it apart from Christ. I, 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 I haven't cussed in four months. I was very nice to everybody. I haven't, I haven't said anything about my other coworkers. And those things are good. Don't, don't mishear me. But if they're from our willpower, we're either going to burn out or we're going to be self-righteous. And in all that, it's not fruit that the Spirit has produced in our life because the Spirit will only produce fruit in our lives when we're abiding in Christ, right? It's not, well, we'll get there either way. No, no, no. We'll produce a counterfeit. We won't produce true fruit that only the Spirit can produce. We can't produce the fruit in our life. We can't buckle down and be patient, be patient, be patient, eventually be patient. The only way we're patient in a spiritual sense that comes from Jesus is by abiding and walking with Jesus. And so whether our flesh plays out like a younger brother that wants to just do whatever we want, we're living in a normalized sinful culture, or whether it's like an older brother who says, I will do this myself. The acts of the flesh are obvious. But look at where this goes. Look at what, look at what Paul contrasts this with. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit. We, we got to grab that today. It's the Spirit that produces this in our life. The fruit of the Spirit. Just say it slowly. Love, joy, peace, patience, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. 
He says, against these things, there's no law. He says, those who belong to Christ, if you're in Christ, you've said yes to Jesus, we've crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. That Jesus, Jesus took our sinful nature. If you are in Christ, Jesus has taken your sin, your sinful nature, nailed it to the cross, done, dealt with. And he has given you new life in Christ, new life. We are clothed in the identity of Jesus, that when God looks at us, he sees what Jesus has done. That is your secure identity. And now the conversation we're having is, how does this play out in my life? He says, just as Jesus crucified once and for all our sin to the cross, he says daily, I want you to practice that habit by crucifying the flesh, crucifying your flesh. The, the daily passions and desires. Verse 25, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step. Underline that. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited. You know how we get conceited? When it's willpower. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. When I was in middle school, I was in eighth grade. One time I, I got I got student of the month, all right? I guess I was a nice kid and got some Bs. I was a student of the month, and I, di I didn't know what the teacher was asking me, and the teacher came over, and they, she started asking me these questions, like, Aiden, um, what kind of things are you into? Do you do any sports? I said, no. <laughs> she goes, oh, are you in academic challenge? I said, no. She said, oh, well, are you part of some of the clubs? No. <laughs> so she, I'm student of the month, and she goes, I don't know this yet. She goes, Layden, what do you what do you do? I said, uh, I play my drums at home. <laughs> That's what I told her. So sure enough, on the loudspeaker the next day, I'm with all my eighth grade friends who they do sports and they do academic challenge and clubs and all this stuff. They say, this student of the month this week for eighth grade is Aiden Finn. He is trying to do his friends and he gets B's and Aiden plays his drums at home. That's my only claim to fame I had as an eighth grader. It's the only thing I did. My friends laughed so hard and made fun of me for so long. Aiden, you playing your drums at home? I just saw one of my friends yesterday, and I told him how I was gonna put this in the sermon, and he started cracking up saying, they said it through the loudspeaker. He plays his drums at home. Playing the drums, you grow up playing the drums. I like playing the drums, it's my original instrument. And you learn, whether you learn to play piano, maybe you're learning to play piano, playing the drums, there's, there's, you get a thing called a metronome. And it's just this clicking sound that goes on. Uh, when we play in the band on Sunday mornings, we have these little in-ears, and in our ears, what we're hearing is the metronome. It's the beat. If it's a fast song, it's here. And if it's a slow song, it's here, right? Because the natural tendency of a drummer, a musician, is if the tempo's here, we wanna slow down the beat on certain songs, and we wanna speed up the beat on other songs. And what Paul is saying, in all of this, he's like, this is the flesh. I want you to live by the Spirit. How does this play out? He says, keep in step with the Spirit. He says, the Spirit sets the tempo. The Spirit is the one who is with us in our lives. Not just, here, keep in step with morality. Keep in step with the Bible. But the, the, he's embodied in the Spirit. The Spirit is our advocate, our friend, our helper. Here and now, leading us in the Christian life. And Paul says, keep in step with the Spirit that the Spirit keeps the tempo and we are called to keep in step with the Spirit. Not, not live according to the way the world does, by doing whatever feels good, by living to our cravings, not by this selfish way where we accomplish everything ourselves, but if it's Jesus who has saved us, Jesus who has nailed himself to the cross in our place, Jesus who has given us new life, put his Spirit in us, that he says, as you live in this world, keep a step with the Spirit. 
His truth. God, God, God's word, keep it step. Do we know the truth? Do we know what the Lord says? We know his wisdom. Are we following the promptings of the spirit? In touch with the spirit, in step with the spirit as he's leading us in different situations. Are we keeping in step with the spirit in the conviction of the spirit? When he's saying, this is not who we are, that's sin, that's the flesh, that's not who you are. We're not going that road, we're not going that way. We keep in step with the Spirit as he brings to mind what Jesus says, reminds us of what Jesus taught, reminds us of who Jesus says we are. We keep in step with the Spirit as we are filled up with the Spirit. That keeping in step with the Spirit, it's this abiding with Jesus in action. Keeping in step. Look what look what John, uh, when Jesus is Jesus and John is talking to the disciples before he would go. He talks about Holy Spirit. We looked at this in the last series. He says, "I will ask the Father; He will give you another Advocate to help you and be with you forever. Be with you forever. The Spirit of Truth, Holy Spirit. World can't accept Him because it neither sees Him nor knows Him because they're apart from Christ. But if you're in Christ, you know Him. For look at this; He lives with you." and will be in you. Now, why does Jesus say it both ways? Is he with me or is he in me? Yes. I'm the temple of the Holy Spirit. Spirit dwells within me. Yes. That when the, the Spirit fills me when I humble myself. Yes. That the Spirit it seals me for the day of redemption. Yes. But he's also with me. Guide me. Is leading me as I keep in step with the Spirit. Now, I really quickly want to, want to look at this. What does this look like? What does it look like for us tangibly to keep in step with the Spirit. Because this is nice, this is theoretical, but what does it look like to tangibly keep in step with the Spirit in our lives? I just want to quickly have you ask, ask yourself four questions. I'm not asking how patient are you, how joyful are you, how good are you at being kind? But what I want to ask you is what does it look like to tangibly keep in step with the Spirit, to walk with the Spirit, and by doing so, Him producing fruit in our life? The first thing I challenge you to ask yourself is am I yielding to the Spirit? Dan talked all about this last week, with being filled with the Spirit. I love how Dan said it. He said, being filled with the Spirit isn't about getting more of the Spirit, but it's about the Spirit getting more of me, me yielding, me humbling myself, me getting out of the way, me becoming less that he might become more, right? This idea of yielding, right? We've got a lot of four-way stops around here. And I don't always do a very good job at yielding. I'm a pretty cautious, safe driver, but when I can't do the Canadian standoff thing where everybody gets to the intersection and you just, y'all look at each other, right? Like I get to the intersection and if we're all gonna do, I just go. I mean, I stop, but I don't like, I yield. And then I like, we're all stopping. No one's gonna, you know, T-bone each other. But I'm not good at yielding in those situations, right? But I, I give you two words. How am I yielding to the spirit? I, the first word I give you is surrender. Am I surrendering to the spirit? Is the Spirit getting more of me? Maybe a way of asking that is, who am I submitting to? Am I submitting to the cultural norms? Am I submitting to the authority of a voice on the TV? Am I, uh, am I submitting to the opinions of somebody? Who am I surrendering to? Who am I surrendering to? How do I know if I'm listening to the Spirit or somebody else? It's, what, what's the fruit? What's the fruit? If I'm surrendering to the Spirit, it produce fruit in my life. If I'm angry, if I'm anxious, if I'm scared, if I'm self-righteous, I, I may not be surrendered to the Spirit, right? Who am I surrendering to, right? Daily. Who, maybe as we, as we think about yielding to the Spirit, part of we live in such a fast-paced culture. We talked about this a couple years ago. You can go Google it, read about it. We are fast-paced with our expectations, with our technology, with our relationship with Jesus. And 
part of, I think, yielding to the Spirit is slowing down. A, a, a rookie musician, a young musician, we have this, oftentimes, I remember this when I was a kid, our tendency is to want to rush the tempo. Spirit's here. Spirit's working our lives. Fruit takes a while to ripen, amen? And we want to, we want to rush the tempo. We want to rush the tempo. And part of yielding to the Spirit is slowing down, slowing our life down, slowing our expectations down, slowing our timeline down, slowing down our schedules. Would I hear the voice of the Spirit? Would I acknowledge His promptings in my heart and in my life? Or is my schedule too busy? Am I pace too fast? Too much to get done? Is there space? Do I have time set apart to just slowly abide to Jesus? Do I have margin in my life to hear who the Spirit might be leading me to have a conversation with, an interaction with? Oh man, that person's hurting. That person seemed like they wanted to talk, but I ain't got time for that. I gotta go, right? I was challenged this a week. I'm up. Listen, I know I talk fast. I get it, right? I move. I like to go. I have like to get going, right? And then Walmart the other day, I'm rushing around. I got one of my kids in the cart. And there's a lady who, who just, it's, she just seemed like she needed someone to talk to about her interactions. This older lady and... I'm preaching on it this week, so I gotta talk to her. So I slow down and talk to this lady. I have this beautiful conversation the whole time, trying to keep my kid from jumping out of the cart. But am I, am I in step with the Spirit? Am I, have I slowed down? Have I slowed down to be aware of the interactions that the Spirit may have for me? Or am I running right by? Slowing down helps give space for an awareness of His presence with us and His presence in us. Second thing I, I challenge you to ask yourself is, how am I doing at dying? How am I doing it dying? Look at this. This is all through the New Testament. Paul says it right here in Galatians. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Romans 8. Romans 8 talks about the same concept of flesh and spirit. I would challenge you to go read it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. I love the way Pastor Ethan said this uh, back in the fall when we talked about the world, the flesh, and the devil. He said, practice telling yourself no. How are you practicing telling yourself no? How do we, how do we mortify our flesh is how the old Puritan said it. You think about these TV shows. You know, I watch these TV shows where people got like a pet chimpanzee or a pet alligator or a pet lion and they're just living their lives. You know how that episode always ends. That, that alligator bites off someone's leg or that monkey like beats up grandma or something nuts, right? And you're like, how did this happen? You're like, you had a chimpanzee in your condo. What did you think was going to happen, right? And I love, I forget who said this, but, but what we need to do is quit trying to tame our flesh and kill it, right? Well, I'm, I'm just going to go, right? Like I struggle with alcoholism. I'm not going to drink. I'm just going to go. Like I don't, I, I've, I've had this struggle with pornography and lust and I, you know, Game of Thrones is a good story. It's a good story, right? Right? Like we, we tame our flesh in all kinds of ways. And what, what, what Paul is saying is don't tame your flesh, kill it. Kill it. And we, we all have different things that are, that are specific struggles for us. And Paul's saying don't tame it, kill it. Right? I think there's a couple different, there's all kinds of ways this could happen. But I challenge you with just a couple today. This is something that's completely lost in our Western society's idea of fasting. Fasting is from food intentionally saying, I'm going to, I'm going to stop certain, certain food for a certain amount of time. And in my hunger pains and in my desire, this is, I need my, my literal flesh, my body needs food to survive, right? And, and, and fasting is saying for a given amount of time, maybe sun up to sundown a day, a week, I'm, I'm going to set that aside 
I'm gonna set this, this, this fleshly appetite aside, right? That makes me live and I wanna abide with Jesus. So when my hunger pain comes, I'm gonna turn that to Jesus. Like, it feels nuts to us today. Like, it's so gone from our culture today, but this, this was a standard practice for Christians for thousands of years, is fasting. To, to actually, we must decrease that he must increase. That's a nice theoretical concept, but I actually wanna lay aside my hunger so that my hunger for Jesus would increase, right? There's a quote I heard, it says, prayer is reaching out for heaven and fasting is letting go of earth. I challenge you. And another form of fasting is abstaining, right? This intentionally separating ourselves from something is to decrease our reliance on it and create space for God, right? Maybe abstaining from something is saying, man, on the weekends, I'm not gonna get on social media. I'm gonna create that intentional space. I'm gonna, I'm gonna murder my flesh by kind of separating myself from that, from this certain hobby. Whatever it is, I'm gonna abstain from this, this certain thing so that I might make space for the Lord. If this sounds crazy to you, I, I think you may know what to step into this week or what to read up on or what to be challenged by. How are we crucifying our flesh? That we're not being driven, that we're not being driven by our, our, our lustful fleshly desires. And the last thing I'd quite ask yourself is this, am I cultivating a friendship with God? As we're keeping step with the Spirit, I want to yield, I want to keep on His tempo, I don't want to rush the tempo, I don't want to slow the tempo, I want to keep on tempo with the Spirit, I want to yield to the Spirit. In the same sense as I'm in step with the Spirit, I'm not being led by the flesh, those things are in conflict. If I'm going to be led by the Spirit, keeping tempo with the Spirit, I'm going to get all the other distractions out of my life. I want to I crucify my flesh that's trying to pull me from that tempo. And the last thing, if I, if I, is I'm going to cultivate a friendship with God. Jesus says this in, in John 15, that same section with his disciples. I no longer call you servants. Servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. I have called you friends. Everything I learned from my father, I've made known to you. I said, I told you all stuff my father told me. You're my friends. You're in the circle here. He says, you didn't choose me. I choose you. And I pointed you. I came after you. I said, you come and follow me so that you might go and do what? bear fruit. Fruit that will last. So whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give to you. Friendship requires consistency. It requires intimacy and the power to fulfill them both. This is all found. This is all found in the Spirit. I don't know where I heard this. I wish I could remember it. But just this past week, I was listening to someone talk about, as we're keeping in tempo with the Spirit, you know this, if you're in fifth grade band or choir or you took piano lessons, you, you read the sheet music, right? You, you, every, every, you, at a young age, you got to learn to read the sheet music or the guitar tabs, whatever it is, but you learn the, the music. You learn, you learn, you know, the, the way of following Jesus. How do I pray? How do I read scripture? What's he call me to? What is truth? How do, what's the, this is the sheet music. And as that becomes part of us, as that gets, gets into our system, the truth of God, the practices of Jesus, the community, of, as that just soaks into our body. You think about jazz. You think about that tempo. You think about jazz. Jazz musicians, they got the sheet music buried deep inside of them. They know all that. And now when you play jazz, you're playing off each other. It's fun. We're seeing what he's going to do. I'll see what I'm going to do, right? It becomes this, you, you never see jazz musicians that look ticked. They're having a blast, right? Because they're playing off of each other. There's this, it, this, this friendly type of music, right? Where the truth, the sheet music is so ingrained in them that what's coming out is fun, right? 
And I think about this as th- there are things in, in life that, that we don't have a one for, there's not a verse for what to do with AI, right? Like Facebook isn't in, in the book of John, right? We got to figure out these things, right? As we keep in step with the Spirit, we start playing jazz with the Lord. We start, we start following the Lord. What is he calling us to? What, what is an area to, to walk into that he's calling us? I don't, know, I don't know what you want from me, Lord. He goes, I know, keep in step with me. Like, what does this, it looks different than just reading the sheet music, making sure I got all the right stuff. Yes, 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 that is deeply embedded. But now as that plays out, I'm, I'm walking with the Lord. I'm keeping in step with the Spirit. We're dancing together, right? There's a spirit of wisdom. Lord, how do, I, how do I play out this messy situation? I'll show you. Lord, what about my job and my future? I don't exactly know. Why don't you just keep in step with me? I'll show you. But Lord, are you going to show me exactly what? Eh, probably not, <laughs> right? But walk with me. Keep in step with me, right? The flesh wants the answers, wants the answers, wants the answers to every single situation that comes across. But Jesus says, well, my truth sinks deep into you. Keep in step with my spirit. And you're not, you're not. But, but what if I go, you're not going to give the cravings of the flesh if you're in step with me. I think about Pastor Bob. I mentioned Pastor Bob a couple weeks ago. Pastor Bob has a way. If he'll walk in and he'll tell you he, he met someone in the hospital. And the person he met in the hospital was the grandson of a person that he planted this church with in 1970, whatever. And he'll tell us all these connections and he'll, he'll just think it's the coolest thing. And it is, man. All these connections, all these people, family connections he had. And sometimes he'll end with hands pockets and he'll go, it's fun. It's fun. Man, I, I want that. I don't want to just know the stuff. Yep. I want to walk with the Spirit. I want to play jazz with the Spirit. Follow His promptings. Follow His leading. Paul Tripp says to gaze and to worship and to confess and to cry out and to celebrate. I want to cultivate a friendship with God. I was just talking to someone this week and sometimes in our prayer life, we can be mechanical and I got to pray for this, but I can't pray for this. And if I pray for this, God might do this. And we're trying to map God to a spreadsheet. Stop mapping God to a spreadsheet and start cultivating a friendship with the Lord. That's what he calls us to. When, the, when Jesus says, come and follow the disciples, we're like, where exactly are we going? He's like, come on, right? And the stories that Jesus tells are the ones who did say, well, let me go do this first. He's like, you're going to miss out on the kingdom. Come and follow me. I heard someone speaking about all the cultural up, upheaval of the past few years and, and, and they were talking about how they were in a circle with some people and they, they, were, they were trying to figure out what do we need to do to shape our people with all this cultural upheaval? Should we do political action? Is there new mediums for communication? Is there public forums? Is there social media campaigns? New angles on old truth? Maybe a, various, a marketing campaign? And, and someone in the meeting asked, have we tried the fruit of the Spirit? There's all kinds of good things, all kinds of things to change our life. But have we tried the fruit of the Spirit? Have we tried abiding in Jesus that he might produce fruit in us? Now, you may, you may read these. You may listen to this if you made it this far. And you may sound, that's great, Aiden. But, you know, some of these things, there's some real problems in our world. There are some real problems in my own life. Like, my life is so upside down, inside out, and backwards. You have no idea, Aiden. I don't. You look at the world, you're like, oh, it's all kinds of messes. We gotta, we gotta get some answers. And you may hear a list like this of love, joy, peace, patience, and you're like, that's cute and all Aiden, but it's not. We need something bigger, we need something stronger, something with a little heavier proof to it. Like this just isn't it. And I would kindly suggest to you that if 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 these things that the spirit wants to produce in your life feel inadequate, 
you may be living in the flesh. If there's a bigger answer, a better suggestion, something that's going to actually work, you may be looking for an answer in the flesh. Because what we often miss in this conversation is that the, the fruit produced in us, love, joy, this fruit produced in us, it's not for us. It's, it's for the world around us. That as we abide in Jesus, as we cultivate a friendship with Jesus, keep in step with the Spirit, crucify our flesh, yield to the Spirit, that, that the fruit that He produces in us, it's for our spouses, it's for our neighbors, it's for our kids, it's for our children, it's for our bosses, it's for the world. Have you ever seen an apple tree eating its own apples? I haven't. But as an apple tree lets its roots go deep, the fruit that is produced is for the world around it. Jesus, I pray that as we, as we go into the series for the summer, that you might help us to abide in you, to walk with you. We don't want to just keep a checklist and see how good we've been doing, how many fruits we've got, but Jesus, we want to walk with you. We want to love you. We, we want to be a friend of God that you might produce fruit in our lives. And so as we go through the summer, looking at these different, these different aspects of the fruit, Lord, I pray that that we might examine ourselves to see if we're walking with you. That we might experience deeper friendship with you as your truth seeps into every area of our being. We love you and we need you. It's because Christ we pray. Amen.